we'll go ahead and dismiss our go ahead and dismiss our children at this time uh, to kids church. <clears throat> I would like to uh, update everyone. Uh, for those of you who've been praying uh, for our India trip, uh, please continue to do so. Uh, we are planning to leave for India on February the 18th. Uh, please continue to pray for our trip. Please continue to pray for uh, how the Lord may lead you to give toward that trip. Uh, I submitted all of my paperwork for my visa on Friday. Uh, and so I should hear back the first part of this week. Uh, so if you think about it, uh, if you will uh, maybe put a note on your phone, a reminder uh, that reminds you to pray. Uh, because as many of you know, last time... Uh, I had intentions to go to India. The government of India decided that I did not need to visit India, uh, and so they refused my visa. Uh, so this year, I, I got a new passport with a new passport number and submitted all of my uh, paperwork, and we are hoping and praying that the Lord may open up those opportunities. Uh, so if you think about it, pray for me uh, over the next couple of days uh, that the Lord may open up those doors and that I will intend, and I intend, uh, we'll be allowed to go to the country of India. Uh, our trip uh, is very, uh, I, the group, the team that I'm going with uh, is counting on me because I, I, we're, we're going in two different teams this year, uh, and I will be taking, heading one team up, going in one part of India, while uh, Brother Tommy Middleton uh, will be taking another team to another portion of India. So if I'm not allowed to go, uh, then there's going to be a lot of reshuffling at the last minute. So please pray. Uh, that the Lord may open up those opportunities. Uh, well, this week and next week, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to take a break from the book of Matthew for just a couple weeks. Uh, and everybody said, aww. See, I, I, I knew they liked Matthew. Everybody says I've been in Matthew too long, but, but I, I, I tell them we haven't. We, we're, just, we're just wetting our appetites. But this week and next week, we're going to take a break from the book of Matthew. This week, we're going to talk about uh, the importance and the, the role that community and that small group plays in the life of the church. Uh, and so we're looking at where does my help come from. Next week, we're going to be focusing on missions. Uh, next Sunday night is our missions, uh, missions conference uh, at uh, Zor Baptist Church, I believe. Uh, and so, is that right? Zor Baptist at uh, our missions conference. Uh, Nick Ripkin, the, the author of the book Insanity of God and Insanity of Obedience, uh, will be speaking, uh, so you will not want to miss that. For those of you who have not read that book, uh, it is a fantastic book. It's one of my, my top five books of all time, uh, so it is a fantastic read. Uh, I read it in a day and a half. Uh, it's a 300-something page book that I read in a day and a half, and I'm not a fast reader, uh, so it is a fantastic read. He's going to be the speaker at the missions conference, so you'll want to be there for that. Uh, but next Sunday, we'll be talking and emphasizing on missions, on what God has called us as the local church, and how he's called us to participate uh, in missions. And so uh, this week and next week, we'll be taking a break from the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 11. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is actually Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, it is called 2 Corinthians because it's only the second letter that we have. Uh, the first letter uh, that Paul writes to Corinth, we don't have 
Uh, it's called the Lost Epistle. You say, well, how do you know Paul wrote a letter to First Corinthians to the book to the church at Corinth before First Corinthians? Because in the book of First Corinthians, he said, in the letter that I wrote to you previously. So we know that he wrote at least one letter to them. So we we refer to that letter as the Lost Epistle, and then there's a letter in between. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, uh, that is referred to as the severe epistle that Paul writes to them and fusses at them. Uh, he spends the whole letter fussing at them uh, and rebuking them and chastising them. Uh, and we don't have that letter. However, we have 1 Corinthians and we have 2 Corinthians. This is actually Paul's fourth correspondence to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, Paul had a deep affection for this church. Paul planted this church. Paul led many of them uh, to faith in Christ. Uh, Paul baptized many of them. Paul saw many of them come to, to growth and maturity. And so Paul has a deep affection for this church. And so here we read uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are shares of our suffering, so also you are shares of our comfort. And we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our afflictions which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from a great peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in the helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given to the many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of the many. Let's pray. God, as we look at this passage, we see Paul giving praise and glory to God, who through his local church provided comfort, encouragement, strength. Lord, may we see our need for the local church. May we see our need for a small group of believers that we can rest in, that we can be encouraged by. Lord, may you speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you picked up on a common word or a common theme in that passage, but it seemed like Paul said comfort about 800 times. Uh, you're reading this and you're like, good grief, Paul, how many more times are you going to say comfort? Well, I, wanna, I want us to understand that there was a reason that Paul used this word over and over and over and over again. And the reason was is that Paul was someone who was acquainted with peril. Paul was someone who was acquainted with hardship. Paul was somebody 
who at the latter part of his life uh, was not somebody who, who had everything given to them. Paul was someone who had been shipwrecked, who had been stoned, who had been left for dead. Paul was someone who had been arrested and who had been beaten multiple times. Paul was someone uh, who, had, who had experienced a tremendous amount of affliction, tremendous amount of hardship in every city where Paul went. They, he, he, would, he would immediately go into the synagogue and he'd begin preaching and teaching. And as he would begin preaching and teaching, eventually the Jews would, would get fed up with his teaching, would, would, say, would hear that, that he was preaching and teaching that this Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah, and they would eventually kick him out of the synagogue, and then he would begin preaching to the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles would get tired of hearing him talking about how there is there's one God and one true God, and so they would drive him out of the city. And so Paul's entire ministry was marked with affliction and trial and hardship. And so if your entire life and your entire ministry is marked with affliction and hardship and trial, aren't you going to be looking for comfort, strength, and encouragement? And when you find it, you're going to continue to praise God for His comfort. If you turn your Bibles, I want you to see that this is not just the preacher making this up. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul concludes his letter to the church at Philippi, and he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak from want. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering in need. Paul is someone who has suffered. Paul is someone who has shared in the sufferings of Christ. Paul is someone who has experienced the hardships of life. You know, it's encouraging to me to see uh, so many young uh, newlyweds and young families in our church, and it's equally encouraging to see so many mature believers and so many uh, elderly people in our church. Because these, and please don't take offense, but these young newlyweds, uh, you have no idea what life is going to throw at you. You have no idea the hardships, the pain, the struggles that are going to come 25 years into marriage, 30 years into marriage, 67 years into marriage. But there are others in this congregation who've been married 30, 40, 50, 60, 67 years that that we can look to. And whenever our lives begin falling apart and whenever, whenever tragedy and whenever affliction and whenever difficulty happens, that, that we will be able to look to others within the body of Christ. It's interesting that if we go back to our text, when Paul is afflicted, where does he find comfort? Let's go back to the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Where does Paul go when he is afflicted, where does he expect, where does his help come from? It says in verse 4 and 5, for, 
the God who comforts us comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also are the comfort, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. It's interesting that Paul, when he is afflicted, he looks for the comfort for, from God to come through the local church. Whenever we're born into this world, we are born into a family. We are born into this world, we are born with a mom and a dad, and grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, cousins. We are born into a family. Some of us are born into a small family. Some of us are born into a large family, but we are all born into a family. And it is that family that provides the network of support for us to grow and to, to, to grow in the, uh, the understanding, to, to learn what it means to be loved, to learn what it means to, uh, to, be, uh, to have affection. It is in that family that we grow. Our spiritual birth is no different. When we are born again, we are born into a family. We were born into a, a family, into a church family. You know, over 80% of the time that Paul uses the word church, he does so referencing the local church, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinth. Paul uses the word church overwhelmingly referencing the local church much more than he does the universal church. Why? Because God's intended methodology for us as the church, for us as individuals to grow in our maturity, for us as individuals to, to be comforted in affliction, for us as, as individuals to, to be edified is through the local church. When we are born into when we are born we are born into a family when we're born again we are born again into a family and God intends to use the church as that family as that familial uh, mechanism by which we are to grow and by which we are to be comforted Ephesians chapter 4 Paul illustrates this Ephesians chapter 4 Paul spent more time at the church at Ephesus than he did at any other church in his in his tenure as missionary and he spent, he spent about three years uh, off and on with the church at Ephesus. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, I want us to see this. At the end of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, this is how God intends to grow you, church. This is how God intends to build you up, to edify you. Verse 11, 12, and 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature to which he belongs, to which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So Paul said he has put the local church and set it up and organized it, and, and given people within the church specific gifts, specific abilities, some as teachers, some as prophets, some as preachers, some as evangelists. 
some as those gifted in hospitality, some as those gifted in, in, in grace and in service. And, and this is not an exhaustive list in, verse, in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, but this is a snapshot of these are some of the roles that, that God has equipped the church for. And He has placed you in the church and gifted and equipped all of those around you so that they may build you up, so that they may equip you, so that they may edify you, so that you can grow to maturity in Christ. God has ordained, and in His sovereignty, He has made the local church to be the mechanism for both the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the edification of us as believers. You know, whenever we were little, whenever my wife and I were younger and our children were little, uh, all of our children were born with a drug problem. They were drugged to church every time the doors were open. And they, 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 they had no choice. You know, my, my children have all been attending church for, for older than they are. Daniel's, he's almost 13 years old. He was, he's been going to church since before he was born. They have been in church. They have been participating in ministry. And it, it, it was so encouraging as a dad to see Daniel up here on the stage this morning, uh, to see him uh, playing with the praise team. Uh, he leads worship uh, with the chapel band uh, during at his school. And, and so we're, we're so excited and so, so proud as mom and dad to watch our children grow in their faith. But you know, church, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. In fact, there's a picture that I want you to see. I don't even know how old this picture is. I don't even know how old this picture is, but I can tell you exactly where it was. This was sitting on the side of Jones Creek Road at the Christmas parade. Whenever our church and our school was, was marching, there was, you know, some probably, uh, you know, they were probably participating in some parade, and then we went to the Winter Festival afterwards, and you see Anna, and you see uh, Eleanor, and you see Emma Catherine, and, and Anna is now 10 Eleanor is now 13, and Emma Catherine is 11, 12, somewhere around there. You know, she's, she, she looks like she's like, you know, 21, but she's not. She's only 11 or 12. Uh, but these children have grown up in the church. The next slide uh, is a picture on Easter Sunday. It's a picture on Easter Sunday, and, and you see Anna and Daniel, and this was before Daniel had glasses. Uh, so he was younger than, than five, uh, and Nicholas, uh, he doesn't even realize he's at church. Uh, <laughs> but, but the church is a place, the local church is a place where we can come, where we can, where we can grow in our faith, where, where we can pour into our children, where we can pour into one another, where we can study God's Word, where we can be encouraged, where we can be strengthened. But you know, the church is also a place to comfort us in the midst of affliction. A couple of years ago, my dad got sick with cancer. This is a picture right before he got sick, right before he really got sick. And my dad died. And when my dad passed away, I don't think my family cooked a meal for at least a month or two. 
I remember a church member showed up uh, after we got back to the house, after we got back to the house after dad's funeral. And she had chocolate, she had wine, and she had some other stuff that, that she dropped off and she said, she said, I know church folk probably shouldn't bring you alcohol, but, but, but you know what? We just want to be here for you. We want to encourage you. And, and I know that, you know that you're going to need chocolate. I know you're going to need a glass of wine. And I know you're going to need a shoulder to cry on. And we want you to know we're here for you. And there were countless men who came up to me afterwards, put their arm around me, prayed for me, encouraged me. God has ordained the local church to be not only the method of the fulfillment of the Great Commission, but to be the very means and the mechanism by which we grow in our faith and the means and the mechanism by which we are comforted. By which we weather the storms of life. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 17. Jesus knows that he is about to leave his disciples. He knows that in just a few hours he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. And his disciples are going to have to spend the rest of their ministry without Jesus. And so he prays for his disciples. And this is what we have in John chapter 17. It's the high priestly prayer. As Jesus intercedes on behalf of his disciples, he prays for them. And I want you to listen to what he says in John chapter 17, verse 14. He says, I have given them thy word. He's praying to his father. He says, he says God, I've given them your word. And the world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Listen to this next verse. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. God's desire is not that we would be removed from affliction. God's desire is not that we would be removed from hardship. God's desire is not that he put us in a bubble and he protect us from, from loss and from pain and from hurt and from difficulty. But God's desire is that in the midst of hurt and pain and difficulty, in the midst of everything that, that, that life can throw at us, that we as the church stand as a light upon a hill. Daniel chapter 3 gives us a picture of God's intention in the midst of affliction. Flip over there with me, if you will, the book of Daniel, chapter 3. As Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are standing before the king. They're standing before the king, and they, they see this, this statue that the king has built built of himself and the decree has gone out that that everyone is to bow before this statue and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say we will not bow before this statue listen to this text in John um, Daniel chapter 3 verses 21 through 25 
And then these men were tied up in their trousers and their coats and their caps and their, and their other clothes. And they were cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. And for this reason, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, and he stood up in haste. And he responded and said to the high officials, Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. And he answered and said to them, Look, I see four men loosed, walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. God's desire is not to remove us from the fire, but God's desire is to be with us in the midst of the fire. God's desire is not to remove us from pain and from hardship and from difficulty and of affliction, but God's desire is to be with us in the midst of affliction. And the way that He is with us in the midst of affliction is through the local body. It's through the church. It's through our small groups. And whenever life kicks us in the teeth, and whenever we, we lose loved ones, and whenever, whenever we, we, get, we fail classes, and whenever our children are acting retarded and rebellious and, 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 and doing things that, that, that we would never expect our teenagers to do, then we've got each other to love and to encourage and to strengthen us. Whenever we're going through pain, incomprehensible pain, God has given us comfort through His church. I remember when Jennifer died. I remember sitting. I remember sitting in her living room knowing that she didn't have long. I remember sitting in the hospice room with Miss Lynette asking me what what am I going to do? What are we going to do with these babies? We didn't know, but we knew that we'd figure it out together. God's desire is not to remove us from affliction, but rather to give us grace in the midst of affliction. God meets us in the midst of His storm with His church. And His church are there our brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't have all the answers. And sometimes it, we don't know what to say. And so what do we do? As Baptists, we cook. And we show up with food, and we show up with chicken, and we show up with jambalaya. And we pray, and we cry, and we mow lawns. Because we don't know what to say, and we don't know what to do. And sometimes we just sit in silence and cry with you. Sometimes we pick up furniture and put it on cinder blocks. Even though the water comes up a whole lot more than 18 inches. Sometimes we show up and, with hammer and pry bar and rip out sheetrock. Sometimes we load stuff on a trailer. Hoping that we can find high ground. God meets us in the midst of the storm. And he does so with his church. And so today, 
we're focusing on the church, the small group ministry of the church. There are many of you out there, and you've weathered the storms of life. God has brought you through difficulties, brought you through hardships, and you're in a place where God has comforted you, He has strengthened you, He has, he has used His church to encourage you. And, and, and you're out there, and, and you are, you're in a good place. Well, church, let us go back to the text, and I want you to see that sometimes an involvement in, in a small group, an involvement in one of our life groups, is not for you but it may be for someone else. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. I want us to see the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. For the God who comforts us in all of our affliction, He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. There are many of you who as we talk about in just a few moments, as we talk about life groups, as we talk about being involved in a small group, you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past that point in my life. I don't, I don't necessarily, I've got a group of friends and a support system around me. I don't necessarily need to be involved in another small group. But maybe someone in that small group needs you. Maybe they need the experience. Maybe they need Someone that has gone through the trials and the tribulation and the afflictions that you have so that you can speak life into them, so that you can encourage them, so that you can say, sweetheart, I walked through this very same circumstance six years ago. Let me hold your hand and pray with you and cry with you as we walk through it together. Or maybe you are someone who is, who is sitting out there and the storms of life are raging, and the waves are crashing over, and you don't know if you're going to make it to, through to tomorrow. And God has ordained a very means and a very method that He desires to, to keep you and to comfort you through that. And it's His church. And so here's the question I want to leave you with. What has God brought you through? In your life, in your circumstance, what has God brought you through? that maybe He is intending to use your experience to comfort hardships through your What has God taught you through your experiences, through your hardships, through your trial, through your afflictions? What has God taught you that He intends to use for others? Paul was acquainted with affliction, and he knew that God was going to bring him help. But he also knew the means and the mechanism for that help was through the local church. In just a few moments, we're going to talk about life groups. We're going to talk about how you can get plugged in, how you can get involved in life groups. But before we do, I want to talk very, very briefly about Jesus. Because the reason we gather together as a local church is because we have a common salvation and that's in Jesus we don't claim that we figured it out in fact we claim the exact opposite that we are in desperate need of grace and mercy and what unifies us as a church is not race it's not creed it's not socioeconomic status it's not even geography 
what unifies us together as a church is that we all acknowledge that we have a need for a Savior because we're sinners. And Jesus came. He bled on the cross and he died to take the penalty of our sin. And we have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus and in him alone. And because of that, we come together. We meet together. We celebrate together. We cry together and we pray together as a local church. And this morning, if your need is not for a local church, but your need is for a Savior, I want to invite you. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Because He alone can save you. He alone can bring comfort. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, that you sent us Jesus. That you sent us Jesus when we didn't even know we needed Jesus. Your word tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Your word tells us that if we confess you as Lord, and if we believe that God raised you from the dead, we shall be saved. If there's someone out there this morning who needs to place their faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do so this morning. Maybe God is calling you this morning to be a part of this local body at Redeemer. I want to invite you to come this morning. Maybe God is calling you to obedience by being baptized or by serving here in the body. Whatever God is calling you to this morning, may you find yourself obedient. In Jesus' name we pray.